hello and welcome back everybody coming to you from the heart of cajun country where it feels like summer for all but three weeks out of the year and even those three weeks are hot back from an undisclosed underground bunker for the week glad to be back in the home studio this is the down south it podcast my name is clark and today we're going to delve into the raspberry pie and I know not a whole lot of people know what this is, and it's because I've asked people, do you know what this is? And most people think it's a pastry. It is not. So we're going to go through, and I'm going to tell you three cool, really cool things that you can do with one of these little gems. But first, head over to the website and click the YouTube channel or just on the video page, and you can see a brand new video that I put up the other day, uh, last week actually. And it goes through the whole process of one of the builds that I'm going to talk about today. And granted, it's not the best video, but it's my first video tutorial and we all got to start somewhere, right? So give it a chance while you're on the channel and check out the other videos that I have on there. Subscribe to it if you haven't already. The other thing on the website that might be helpful today is the Christmas light show build. More specifically, the first part of that which goes through the whole process of flashing a Raspberry Pi and being able to set it up and access access it remotely. So that'll help you a lot if you decide to take the plunge and try out one or all of these builds yourself if you want. And yes, Christmas is getting close and I'll be finishing up part three of that light show display build soon as I get some more parts together. So you have that to look forward to. I have most of the videos on the YouTube channel on the Facebook page as well, as well as all of the links to the platforms that the pod's on. So if there's something you want to know about or hear about on the podcast, please hit me up, downsouthit at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to get that worked into the rotation. So once again, check out the website, downsouthitpodcast.com. Everything will be right there. So let's jump in, shall we? I think we shall. So what exactly is a Raspberry Pi? Well, a Raspberry Pi is actually a single board computer and it's about the same size as a credit card. And it uses what's called systems on a chip or SOC to handle the CPU and graphics duties that would be normally used in a full working desktop computer. And these little guys were developed in Britain for low income and third world students to cheaply learn basic computer skills, computer science skills, and to learn programming languages. But when they were released into the consumer market, the sales were so good that the company ended up splitting into two branches. One would still take the original concept for kids and one for mass market. Mass market side would actually handle the R&D duties to make improvements. And that way, the foundation wouldn't actually have that extra expense on their plate. So but just to give you an idea, in 2015, when they started rolling these out, they sold five million. In 2016, that jumped to 11 million. And last year, they sold 19 million. So it's only been going up. And that's because you can use these pies for just about anything you want, man. I mean, there's such a huge community that's built on these things. There's, It's almost limitless what you can actually do with them. But there are several models out there that you can choose from. But the three most popular are going to be the 3B+. Plus, the Pi 4 and the Pi Zero. Now, if you take a look at the show prep for this episode, uh, you or even on the Retro uh, Pi video that I posted, you'll see the 3B+. Plus. That's the one that I used to do that build. 
Now, that one, it's about the size of a credit card, has a 100 meg Ethernet jack, has four USB 2.0 ports, a 3.5 millimeter audio jack out, and an HDMI port for a monitor. Or you can even plug it into your TV if you really want to. A micro USB power port on it, and it has what they call GPIO pins, which you can actually hook wires to those pins and do specific functions off of them. So that's basically what I'm doing to control the Christmas lights. So there are different things you can do with that, but it runs a 1.4 gigahertz dual core CPU, has two gigs of RAM, and it also has Wi-Fi built into it. And they run about $35. So they're, they're not very expensive. They really aren't. The newest version is the Pi 4. And that one has a couple of different iterations, and it's mainly because of the different RAM amounts that you get. You can get it with either one, two, or four gigabytes. It has an Ethernet port built in also, but that one's actually a gigabit port. It has two USB 2.0 ports and two USB 3.0 ports. So it'll actually be a lot faster if you use the, the USB 3 ports. Now, it also comes with a 3.5 millimeter audio jack, two micro HDMI outputs with 4K output being possible. And being that it has two of them, you could actually run dual monitors off of it. So it runs a 1.6 gigahertz quad core CPU. It has AC Wi-Fi. It has the GPIO pins in it. And this one is a lot more powerful than the 3B+, but it does run hotter. So, I mean, all, all that power has to come from somewhere, right? So it does run hotter. So if you're thinking about using that one as an option, look into a, getting a case for it that has a fan or one that's all aluminum that can be used basically as a giant heat sink. So that way it'll keep its cool and it won't get over. It won't get hot on you. Uh, these will run you anywhere from 40 to $65, depending on how much RAM you get. And the cases usually run between 15 and 25 bucks, depending on what it's made out of and how many features it has on it, stuff like that. So the third one, is actually a Pi Zero. And that one is about half the size of the 3B Plus and the 4. It only uses a board that's about half as half as big. And that one doesn't have any kind of pins on it. It's bare bones. It only has a mini, mini HDMI output, SD card slot, two micro USB ports, no Wi-Fi built into it, uh, on one model anyway. And they're only five bucks. Now, there is a Wi-Fi version that's built in, and that one's 10. So if you want internet, you're either going to have to get a little micro USB to Ethernet dongle or just pony up the extra five bucks and get the Wi-Fi version. So, but anyway, now that you know kind of what they look, what they look like and what's on them, what can you do with a $35 credit card size kind of thing that resembles the inside of a Game Boy that looked like it threw up? Well, a good bit, to be honest. If you're a gamer or you edit videos or you edit a lot of pictures or anything like that, this isn't going to have anywhere near enough horsepower for you. But since these pies run on a light version of Linux, just about anything you could do with a Linux machine, you can do with these. So normal web browsing, email, they work just like a regular desktop. So... Even if you want to learn different programming languages, kind of like the creators intended to it, it's perfect. I mean, to be honest, if you don't do a whole lot on a desktop normally and you don't do, I mean, it's, if that's all you do is check Facebook, check email and stuff like this, this could be a low cost replacement for you for your entire desktop or even just a temporary one while yours is down.
you know, while you're getting it fixed or, you know, if you kind of in between desktops or what have you, you can actually kind of use this as a go between. And I mean, like I say, being as cheap as it is, why not? Uh, if you want something cheap for the kiddos so they can watch their YouTube videos or cartoons or something like that without messing up or downloading something nasty on your regular desktop that you use for work. There you go. These pies come out the box with several programs and you can learn Python, Java, and a few other programming languages. They come with a full office suite and an email client to boot. So the really nice thing is there's a ton of apps, a ton of apps that are just ready to be downloaded and installed from the software console. The names on these are actually going to be kind of funky, I can promise you. But when you read the descriptions, you find that they do or they copy a lot of apps that you use on a PC or a Mac. They do the exact same functionality, but they just, they call them something different. So, you know, it could be ports of different programs. It could be something, somebody completely compiled something new, but they have the same functionality, which is really nice. And some of the other interesting things you can do with this, because the Linux community has embraced these things so wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, I can't speak today. I don't know why. There are a ton of things that you can do with these things that might seem a little strange, but they work oh so well. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. So if you're wondering, yes, I have done all three of these on a Pi in the last month. And using the tutorials that I did made things very easy. Everything's on the show prep on the website, downsouthitpodcast.com. You can check out everything there. Everything that I used is there plus more. So you can go check that out if you want to try any of these. Granted, there is a little bit of command line stuff. So if you're not comfortable with that, it's not really that bad. You know, I'm fairly new to the Raspberry Pi. I haven't used Linux very much in the past. But even going through the tutorials and everything, they tell you exactly what to do, what to type. A lot of it is cut and paste or just type it exactly as you see it. You might not understand it at first, but after a little bit of a learning curve, you kind of understand how they're, you know, what commands you're doing and, you know, what what you're doing. You, you do kind of see it progressing as you go along. So keep in mind, these are only a few things that you can do with a pie. Like you could use it as a streaming media player. You can use it to control your Christmas lights like I've been trying to build for the last eight months until I get the parts and finish. But the first thing I want to talk about is turning this into a retro gaming console. That's right. You can use one of these to play your old Atari, Nintendo, Sega, N64, you know, Super Nintendo games. You can play all of these again. And the video I posted a couple of weeks back takes you through the entire thing, how to get how to get going, how to do the entire thing. But I'll go over it here again real quick. You can go watch the video on the website or on YouTube. It's on the channel. Uh, instead of downloading the normal desktop software for the Pi, which is normally called Raspbian, and they have different different versions of it. I think the most recent version as of this recording is Buster, is the name of it. And instead of downloading that, you actually run a version of it called RetroPie. And it's a full suite of emulators and everything that run on top of the Raspbian software. So you can get that, a couple of USB controllers, the actual game files that, that are called ROMs. And you can play all your old favorite games again. 
And it's awesome <laughs> to be able to play these games again, man. I've been, I have to admit, I have been neglecting my Xbox because of this, but I have to tell you, unfortunately, un- due to intellectual property laws and that kind of thing, I can't tell you where to get the game files specifically. But if you search for the game system and the word ROM, R-O-M, you can find things to, that will pop up. Okay, I can promise you, you will. And once you get those, and uh, uh, just to be safe, if you do do this, only download ROMs for games that you own. So just to put that out there. But so anyway, what you're going to need is a Pi itself. So in the case that we did, it was a 3B plus. An SD card, usually 32 gig will be plenty, and you can get those for like 10 bucks. And you're going to need a power cable. For one, it does not come with a power adapter, so you're going to need one and the output of it has to be at least two and a half amps. Otherwise, the Pi won't work and it'll just sit there and boot loop. And that's disgusting. So once you have that and your USB controllers, it's really easy to get going with it. Use a program called Bellina Etcher to flash your RetroPie software onto the SD card. Put the SD card into the Pi, powered up and boom. It comes up, you're ready to rock and roll, you plug in your controllers, set the map, the the buttons for it, and then after that, it's just transferring the games. It's that easy. I mean, it's really, really not hard at all. Now, you can transfer the games either through Wi-Fi or through a flash drive, just a regular USB thumb drive. I did find that using a flash drive was a lot easier, in my opinion, But once you do that, then you're off to the races and you can play all your favorite games. It's awesome. So I put a link on how to transfer things over in the show prep too, just so you know. And just as a warning, there are a lot of ROMs for a lot of different systems. So make sure you get the ROMs that are compatible with the controller that you have. So you can remap a lot of the buttons on the controllers. But if you have one in the Super Nintendo style, you can use that in... Super Nintendo games, Atari games, and actual regular NES games. But you don't have enough buttons to do, say, Nintendo 64 games because they use the triggers and the, you know, the dial pads and things like that. But if you are looking for that, they do have other game controllers. They do have them in the PlayStation style, the N64 style, Dreamcast. I don't believe I've seen an Atari one, but being that you can use the Nintendo style for that, I really don't see that as a problem. Uh, they do have Nintendo, regular and super and Sega Genesis, of course. So depending on what controllers you get, you can map those and use those for whatever games you happen to be playing at the time. So and the good thing is you don't have to get everything at once. You can get one style and get a few ROMs for Super Nintendo and regular Nintendo play those, you know, and then whenever you want to upgrade a little bit, then you can get the PlayStation style controllers and do PlayStation games. Then you, you, you can move around. It's, it's not set in stone, which ones you have to do, which games you have to have, which ones you have to do. It's, it's very easy to move around and do whatever one you happen to feel like doing that day. So it's really cool. And if you want to give it a whirl, I do have the tutorial that I that I used and the video tutorial that I made uh, up in the show prep. I have it linked there on the website. 
Go check it out. It's very easy to do. And that brings us actually to the next thing that you can do with a pie. And I want to preface this one by saying I freaking hate advertisements, especially on games on my phone. They're annoying as hell. I know you have a lot of the same frustrations, but what if there was a way to block, say, 90 to 95% of all those ads? Would that kind of pique your interest a little? Well, I know it did for me, and that's where the program Piehole comes in. This is a program that runs on the Pi, and it's basically, it's a DNS sinkhole. And what it does is once it sets up, it acts as a middleman between your devices and the DNS server that pulls the ads. So from previous episodes, we know a DNS server is basically a server with a giant table, and that keeps track of the URLs that we type into a browser, or in this case, it would be an ad request, and the IP address associated with that URL. So Pihole has a list of whitelist URLs, and it has a blacklist of URLs. What happens is if it's a whitelist, it go your request goes from your computer to the Pi. Pihole sees that it's a whitelist request, sends it off, no problem, no big deal. Everything comes back just like it normally would, no issue. Now, if that is an ad server that's requesting a URL that's already known and on the blacklist, then when your request goes to the Pi, it doesn't forward it. It stops right there and dies. So what happens is instead of the ad pulling, you either get a blank space where an ad would normally be, or you just get a placeholder with no ad. And either way, you don't have any ad. So that's very cool. And I've been using this for a while now, at least a couple, about three weeks now, and it's helped a lot. I absolutely love this thing. It runs in the background. It takes up no time and no impact on my network at all. Very nice to do. Very easy. It wasn't hard. And the cool thing is with this too is whenever you you install it, you can still use the Pi as a desktop. So to be honest, you really wouldn't even know that program was running. But whenever you don't have ads that come up, then there's proof that it works. So... There are a couple of different ways that you can set up Pi-hole, and one of them is just to have it on your network and you can actually go in and manually change your desktop or your laptop, you know, change the settings for your internet connection to point to that DNS address. That would be the DNS place that it would point to. So usually what happens, usually you either get your DNS addresses directly from your ISP or you set it to Google or something like that. Uh, sometimes you can have it set uh, to a different, you know, some, a different DNS. It depends on the what ISP you have. But in this case, you would just set it to the IP address of the Pi. So that way all of the requests go through the Pi. But the other way you can set this up is to actually change the settings in your router to point to the Pi hole by default. That way every DNS request that from every device on your network will have that ad blocking built in. And just besides blocking ads, you can actually 
block sites you don't want on your network, especially ones that are known for malware, you know, just sites you don't want your kids on right now, game sites that are something that you don't want them playing yet. All you have to do is blacklist it. You type it in, you blacklist it, it's done. It won't, they won't be able to get to it. And if it does happen that there's a site that pops up that you need to get to, but is blacklisted, all you have to do is with one click, whitelist it, and you'll be able to get to it without issue. Very, very easy dashboard to work with. Uh, I do have, I did take a screenshot of the dashboard and put it into the show prep for this episode so you can see what it looks like. And the cool thing about the blacklist and the whitelist is that they update every day. It'll update automatically. So you won't have to do anything. Now, if you want to add something to one of those lists, you can. No problem. Easy. But just be for just so you know, it won't stop all the ads on your network. Like I said, it'll do it for about 90 to 95 percent. Some of the some of the ads that I noticed that it does, it still lets through are the ones like on the YouTube videos and the ones on the YouTube videos do it because they change the URLs and everything so often that it's hard to keep up. So you could technically take those out and blacklist them manually, but it's, it's still kind of, kind of funky. But if that's the only ad you get, I mean, even on smart TVs or anything like that, if that's all you see is a few on a a couple of videos, I can kind of live with that. I really can. So the last thing today is going to be, it actually kind of ties into the last podcast episode. So if you hadn't heard that, head over to SoundCloud or to the website and check out the embedded player and you can listen. You can use a Raspberry Pi as a VPN server. That's right. What if you're away from home, but you need a file on your home computer and there's no way to get to it besides a flash drive or having somebody at home email it to you. You know, that's not how we do things in 2019. Now, is it? Come on. So what you can do is you can set up a Pi to run as a VPN server so that you have a secure connection directly to your home network and can get to anything and everything on it, just like you were on your own Wi-Fi in the next room. I did set this up a couple of weeks ago and I love it. Love it. Makes things so much easier. Oh, Lord have mercy. In fact, I have the the same Pi that I have running the VPN server is actually running Pi Hole too. They run both at the same time. So I couldn't do all three of the things I talked about today on the same one because the video game console one use it uses a different version of the software. But if I could have ran all three on the same one, I probably would have. So but back to the VPN. Anyway, like I talked about in the last episode, it's gonna be really similar to the corporate VPN setup. So you're gonna end up using an existing internet connection to have an encrypted VPN connection over the internet to your Pi at home. So from there, you'll be connected to your home network just like you were sitting in the living room on your Wi-Fi like you would normally. And this VPN uses OpenVPN, which is a secure open v- uh, open source VPN software. And while you're setting everything up, you actually pick how much encryption you want when you generate your VPN key. So you get to choose how safe you want to be. So you get to you get to choose the level of encryption. And being that it's open source, all of this pro the software is patched regularly. If there's any security flaws, it's updated with a quickness. 
So you don't really have to worry about security with this one. So now whenever you do install these, it's basically you to, to start out, you do the exact same thing as you would in the other ones. You download Raspbian, you put it in, you go through uh, using Belina Etcher, you know, you flash the, the SD card, boot everything up. And then from there, that's whenever the tutorial on the show prep starts. So you have to have at least to that stage before you get started with the tutorial. Whenever you do an installation, it's actually really easy. It only takes about maybe 20 minutes total to do it on the, uh, not 20 minutes, 20 minutes total for the installation part. The longest part is actually when the software generates your encryption key. That takes about 10 to 15 minutes by itself. Everything else is about 15 to 20 minutes altogether. So, but while I was setting this up, really the hardest part was doing the, the port forwarding on my router. And you have to do that within the settings of the router. And each router is different. All the manufacturers put it in different places. So you have to check with your, your manufacturer and make sure you, you do it correctly. But once it's done, it's very easy. I mean, it's a, it's a snap. It connects in probably 10 seconds, maybe 15 tops. And overall, it, using the tutorial, it's really easy. Uh, even if you haven't really used Linux very much, like this was, I think, the third thing that I did on it, and I was able to knock it out in a half an hour. But if this is something you really haven't done before, you can probably get it done in 45 minutes, you know, without it really a whole lot of problems. Uh, the only other hiccup with this that you might run into is knowing what your IP address is at your house. And for that, the easiest thing to do is look up a service called No IP. No IP actually runs a small program on your computer, on your network. And once you get everything set up during the setup process, you pick a URL, just like a regular website address that you would want your network to be called. You know, if you wanted this, be like, no, you know, my network dot no IP dot com, something like that. It would, it's going to end up being a subnet, which that really doesn't matter for this. It, you know, that's just how it's going to end up looking. And the program that you install on your computer, what it does is it basically just picks uh, the IP address that you have and sends it to no IP every five to 10 minutes. It'll just ping it. That way, no IP can automatically update that URL to make sure that your IP address is always right. Whenever you do set up a VPN like this, you don't have to remember an IP address. You just have to remember the website, basically, that you set up whenever you were doing everything. So it'd be mynetwork.noip.com. You wouldn't, you don't have to actually remember a 10.2.24. Cause that's annoying. And if it changes your SOL, you know, you'd have to have somebody check it at, at the house and see what it is and then put it in there. It's, it's a mess. Now, if you have a Netgear router by chance, you can use no IP for free. And this is kind of an upgraded version from the regular free account. When you use your Netgear router to sign up for no, no IP, you basically, you don't have to verify the service every 30 days. If you don't have a Netgear router, that's fine. You can still use it for free. It's just look for the dynamic DNS service. It's still free. You just have to basically 
log in once you know every 30 days and say yes i still want to use it that's it no big deal so but other than that it's really it's it's not hard to do it's it's fairly complicated i will i will be honest with you the vpn part is a little bit more complicated and it's a lot more involved than the other two options that i talked about today or even just using this as a regular desktop but if getting to your digital stuff away from home is kind of a high priority on your wish list, the benefits will out, outweigh the time that it takes to set everything up. You know, I wasn't sure how much I was going to use a VPN straight to my house before I set this up. But now that I have it, it's <laughs> I, I use it all the damn time. <laughs> Seriously, I, 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 I don't know how I did it without it. It was so, it's so much easier now. So, and that's always a good thing. If you want to learn how to do it, check out the show prep down south it podcast.com. Everything is there. I do have everything listed, all the websites, all the tutorials, the videos, screenshots, the whole nine, everything will be there. Everything that I use to set up all of these things. And I promise you, it, these little pies are, oh, they're a little wonder. They really are. If you get one, you're going to be surprised exactly how much you can do with it. And that's always cool. Just like all of the cool stuff that I have on the website that you can check out links to all the different platforms that the pods on anything that tickles your fancy. Just take a, take a spin on it. Spend some time on the website. See if you like something, you never know. Something probably will jump out and grab you. You never know. If you happen to miss one of the previous episodes of the podcast, you can check it out right there on the embedded player. Plus all the my two cents clips. Everything's right there. You can listen at your leisure. Check out the Facebook page at down south IT. Give it a thumbs up. Let me know that you stopped by. And if all else fails, you can email me as well. Down south IT at gmail.com. Thank you all again for listening as always. And as I always love to end the podcast. Technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all again for listening. Keep those ideas coming in to me. I love hearing from you. I'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Down South IT Podcast. I love you. Later. Later.